Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Missionary Church, and special welcome to Gabe and Krista and your family. And uh, we'd highly encourage you to connect with them between the services, after the service. And we'd love for you to learn more about their ministry and how you can support them. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 26. Actually, verse 25, excuse me, Galatians 5, beginning at verse 25. We only have two more weeks left in this series on Galatians where we've been looking at the gospel and how it impacts a number of different things and how we cannot add to the gospel and thus we take away from the gospel when we do that. And I want to talk today about something that we all face, and that's relationships and how the gospel impacts our relationships. Because like it or not, um, we deal with relationships every single day. In fact, most of the reason that I meet with people often is because they're going through something in their relationships, whether good or bad. Relationships are often the reason that you stick with your job, but they're also the reason that you what? You quit your job. Pastor Rick, I have a horrible boss. I have a horrible coworker. I just can't stand working there anymore. Relationships are the reason that people come to church, and they're often the reason that what? They leave the church. By the way, we sometimes have both happen in our church too. Every church faces this. Relationships are the reason that you can love life, and they're also the reason that you can hate life and be stressed out about life and depressed. And so we're going to look at today, how does the gospel, if you really believe the good news of Jesus Christ, how does it impact and affect our relationships? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, if you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're going to look about eight verses here, Galatians 5, 25 through chapter 6, verse 6. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in God's word. He says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Then chapter 6, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And we're going to stop right there. You may be seated. Here we see today that the gospel impacts at least a couple different relationships. We're going to look at two different sets of relationships that the gospel impacts. And the first one that we see here in our text is that the gospel impacts our relationship with other people. And you may say, well, yes, obviously. But that's the first one we're going to look at. The gospel impacts our relationships with others. And verse 2 is really the main, the main verse of this entire text. Why don't you read this out loud with me together? It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So do you see the vision that God has for us as a community? This is especially for our brothers and our sisters in Christ that we are called to carry or lift, or some translations may say bear each other's what? Burdens, which implies something really heavy that you cannot carry alone. We are called to come alongside them and carry it. And in so doing, Scripture says, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of it, yes. Yes. 
In fact, if you go on the next slide there in the book of John, when Jesus was talking, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. And one of the ways that you show it is that you bear or carry each other's burdens. I really like that image, by the way. In fact, just so it hits home, imagine that I have a tub of bricks, which I do, <laughs> and it's heavy enough. You know, it's probably a couple hundred pounds in here at least. Um, <laughs> come on, you should believe that, right? <laughs> if you're called to carry someone's burdens, Jason, can I have you help me for a second? He didn't know I was going to do this. If he was going to bear my burdens, what would he do with me? He would grab it. That doesn't feel nearly as bad now. I think he and I could run a marathon maybe with this together. Maybe. Maybe not. Okay. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. <laughs> but when he came alongside of me, he literally lifted my burdens. I was still carrying some, but he carried it as well. And it made it so much easier. Now, this is the case physically, of course. But this is also true mentally and emotionally and socially and spiritually. In fact, those can be some of the hardest, most difficult burdens to bear as a brother or sister in Christ, can't they? But that is what God has called us to do. So here's what I want you to do for a second. I know we're early into the sermon. Go ahead and look around the congregation right now. Look behind you. Look above you at the lofty balcony people. Look below you, balcony people. <laughs> look all around. If God has called us as a community to bear one another's burdens. Could it be that there's someone here right now that you are called to bear their burden? Could there be someone in this room, in this church, or maybe in this community that you are called, that God is putting on your heart right now to do that? Well, I would encourage you, if you feel that nudge, to go check in on them. Don't be nosy. This isn't a license to be nosy, <laughs> but to check in. By the way, how many of you have a hard time letting someone bear your burden? Probably not going to admit it. Okay, some of you did. Good. You need to let others bear your burdens as well. That's part of it. You know, I think of that image burden, and I think Paul may be having a subtle dig at these false teachers who are coming in and telling them, yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to get circumcised and follow the law of Moses in the Old Testament to really be saved. And I think Paul's saying, no, we don't put burdens on people like these false teachers are doing in your life. We actually come alongside and we lift people's burdens. We carry them. We help each other out. And if you look at a couple examples here, Paul actually gives us a couple very vivid examples. In verse 1, he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should ignore them, tell other people about him, and do nothing about it. What's it say? No, it doesn't say that. It says, if they're caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person, what? Gently. So think about this. This isn't just anyone but if they are caught in a sin, so it's not just like somebody sins and now it's your job to go tell them. About. No, it's not that. But this is somebody who is overwhelmed in sin. They are caught in sin like they can't get out of it. You are called, if you live by the Spirit, which I really like that translation because some of the older translations say you who are spiritual should do this. And technically, you're all spiritual because you all have the Holy Spirit. And so this is everyone's responsibility to do. If you are a Christian and have the Holy Spirit living inside you, then you are called, if somebody is caught in a sin, to go and restore that person. And that word restore is a really interesting word in the original language because it's actually a medical word 
And the idea behind it is that there's something out of place, maybe a bone out of place, that a medical person will go in and put back in place. Now, I've never experienced that. But based on all the movies I've seen, for medical movies, when somebody's bone is out of place, it hurts really bad. And when they jam it back in place, it also hurts really bad. But then that brings healing. That brings relief. So we are called like that kind of medical person to go alongside our brother or sister in Christ, and we are to restore them, set it back in place, gently, of course, too. But in that gentleness, in that setting it back in place, that'll bring healing. And then Paul says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted or may fall into it, or I think you may look down on them. So here's another question. As part of bearing each other's burdens, go ahead and look around one more time. And this is where it gets a little bit awkward, if it wasn't already awkward before. Could there be someone in our very own congregation who is caught in sin that you are called to go help? Now, I know that's not fun. It's not easy. Even as a pastor, I don't look forward to moments of going to congregants and saying, you are caught in sin, but you know, I don't look forward to that. But is there someone that you, because God gave this instruction to all of us as part of bearing burdens, we are to come alongside those caught in sin who cannot get out of this to restore them, to set it back in place gently. Could there be someone like that? This is a little bit different than, I was thinking of other passages that call us to do this sort of thing, like Matthew 18, because this, this isn't necessarily if the person has sinned against you. It's just that there's a person overwhelmed and struggling and can't, can't seem to get out of it. Could you be that person that God is using to help them? Then there's another verse two, another example. Verse six gives us a different example. Shows us another practical way to bear burdens. It says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word, that's all of us, should share all good things with their instructor, that's me, a pastor, a teacher. I know that's kind of weird for me to say that because I'm up here. But that's what the Bible says. So the one who receives any teaching, which literally that's the where we get our word catechism from. You're catechized in the word, not a bad word, it's a good word. If you receive any instruction in the word, the Bible calls you and I to share that with our, the ones who are giving you that instruction. And actually the word share and all good things means your lives, it means spiritual blessings, and it even means financial and physical blessings. And I know that's weird coming from up front because you're like, is this another sermon from a pastor about money? And the answer is not really. It's really short. <laughs> but this is just the next text in our sermon series. So I'm not picking on anyone. But this is another example of burden bearing that I think Paul is talking about, that if you receive instruction in the word, you are to share all good things with those over you who give that instruction. So a teacher of the word of God, a pastor, a preacher of the word of God. And in fact, that word share is more than just a physical or financial thing. That is our very lives. That implies a rich fellowship where there is, that we are sharing our lives together. We are bearing each other's burdens as pastors and as the congregation. So that's a third, that's a second example. Verse one is the first one. Verse six is another one. So Paul calls us to a pretty big standard. We are called to bear one another's burdens. And I want to get out my burden again. There's probably more bricks in here by now. Um, Jason, can you come up here again? Jason's a man of many talents. So before you grab it, if I have this huge burden that I'm just struggling with, you know, and this is pretty heavy, believe it. Um, if Jason comes and gets involved in my life, this may sound obvious, but what does he have to do? 
He has to come alongside me. He has to find out what's going on in my life. He has to burden himself. He has to walk alongside me if we start walking and carrying this together. And that may sound obvious, but just think about this. I am inconveniencing Jason now. He's getting involved in my messy life. It's messy, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when it comes to bearing someone's burdens, sometimes, do you do this? I start to run a little bit of cost-benefit. Like, how much is going to be required of me to bear your burden, buddy? <laughs> is this going to be worth it? Are you going to change? How, how dirty am I going to have to get my hands here? How messy is this going to be? Let's do this just quick and easy, and let's just move on with life. I don't know about you, but it, it is hard to really bear burdens. And that's just a physical burden. It wasn't too heavy, right, Jason? But if it's a spiritual burden like verse 1 talks about, when you're, if you're going to restore someone gently, that's going to take walking with them over time, checking in on them. How do we actually do that? Because that sounds great, this great community where we come together and bear each other's burdens. But it's hard to do in practice. How do we actually do that? Well, that takes me to my second relationship here. This will get into it. The gospel impacts not just our relationship with others, but our relationship with ourselves, which may even be more important in some ways to get this one right, because then it affects our relationship with other people. So if you look at chapter 5 now, verse 26, why don't you read this out loud with me together? It says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So this may sound like a very relational one, you know, provoking and envying, but that first half deals with the relationship with ourself. Let us not become what? Conceited. What does that word conceited mean? If you meet somebody conceited, because it's always somebody else, it's never us, you know, what, what does that word mean? It means somebody arrogant, full of pride. They are puffed up often on themselves. But I did a little bit of digging, and there's a lot of older theologians that bring this out, like John Stott and others. He said that word conceited, actually in the Greek, means the idea that you are empty. It means you are empty of glory or empty of honor. So conceit, even though we think it often means you're full of something like that themselves, actually means at the root, according to this biblical word, is that you are empty of glory and honor deep in your heart. And so you are desperately trying to look for that glory and honor. And we often try to do that if you look at chapter 6, verse 4. We try to fill that glory vacuum and that honor vacuum by comparing ourselves with others. So there at the end it says, it talks about taking pride in yourselves alone without comparing yourself to someone else. So this idea of conceit is that you are empty of these things and you are desperately trying to fill them by comparing. And so what do we do? Verse 26, we provoke other people, which means, you know, these, these are the competitive people who provoke and who are um, pushing on people and trying to make themselves look better than that other person. That's one way. Often these provokers have kind of a superiority complex. They have, they're the ultra competitive type people in our congregation. And then the enviers, they're not looking down like the provokers, but they're looking up. They are, they are jealous of somebody else. They want to be like that person. So 
Anybody who's conceited and desperately trying to fill that glory and honor vacuum, it'll often manifest themselves in one of two ways. You'll either provoke someone and try to make yourself look better than them, or you'll look up at them and feel inferior and feel like you can never reach their level, and you may attack them as a result. So here's how one theologian says it. He says, both superiority or provoking and inferiority or envy, they are both a form of conceit. Both are empty. Both are self-absorbed. Both are focusing heavily on how the other person makes you look and feel. Instead of you going in and bearing their burdens, you're using them to make you feel good. Both are from a result of deep insecurity. And he goes on to say the only difference between a person of arrogance and a person of low self-esteem is that the inferior one has lost at the game and despairs at the winners. They're the enviers. And the winners have won at the game, and they compare themselves with others to check they are still winning. So both are deep-seated insecurity. So our view of ourselves, if this is you and I this morning, if we are conceited, whether feeling superior and provoking or inferior and envying, do you think we're going to do a very good job at bearing someone else's burdens? No way. We're going to be so focused on ourselves, so insecure in ourselves, that there's no way we're going to look outside of ourselves other than to compare ourselves and make ourselves feel better. I want you to think of your own life for a second. I found this checklist from another pastor. How do you know if you're more of a provoker, the superior person feeling better than someone else, or an envier, the inferior person feeling worse than someone else? Here's a helpful checklist. Do you and I have a tendency to blow up? Those are the provokers. Or do we clam up the enviers? Do we tend to pick arguments with people? Those are what group of people? The provokers. Or do we tend to avoid them altogether? Those are the inferior, the enviers. When you're criticized, do you ever get angry and attack right back? I got to just show them that they are wrong and I'm going to prove it with my PowerPoint presentation, right? You know? Those are the provokers. Or do I get very discouraged and give right in? Those are the enviers. Do I tend to be more judgmental and say, I would never be like that person over there? Those are the provokers. Or do I say, I could never achieve what that person did and you feel so inferior, they're not even in my league? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ enables us to get past that conceit, to get past that provoking and envying that causes so many relational problems. The gospel enables us to have an accurate view of ourself. Go ahead and look at verse 3. Galatians 6.3 on screen says this. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, each one should test their own actions. Not somebody else's, but your own. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. This is really insightful. This is telling us how to have an accurate view of ourselves. I mean, if you are a person that struggles with that superiority complex, always feeling like you're better or trying to prove that you're better than someone else, you need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You especially need the humbling, sinful part of the gospel that reminds you that were it not for the grace of Christ, you would be just as bad as that other person you're criticizing. You need to realize how bad you are without Christ, how sinful you are, how desperate you need Christ, and that'll bring you down. 
because you've gone so up. But then on the other hand, if you're feeling inferior and feeling just less than everybody else, you need kind of the good news of the gospel. That was the bad news earlier of the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel that says you are so beloved in Christ. You are God's precious son. There is no condemnation for those of you in Christ Jesus. And really, a Christian should kind of feel both of these forces at the same time. That humbling effect of the gospel, you're a sinner. And that lifting up effect of the gospel, you are loved and a child of God. And if you feel both at the same time, guess where you are? You're stable. You're at rest. Oftentimes, we kind of go back and forth depending on where we're at, whether at work or school or whatever, whoever we're around. But if you have both, I mean, you are, you're stable. In fact, if you have both pushing in on you, when you go to confront a brother or sister in love, you're not going to look down on them and say, I'm better than you. You need to, re- you need to repent. And ch-. No, you're going to say, were it not for the grace of God, I would be in that same situation. And then you're also going to be emboldened enough to actually go confront someone because how many of you are terrified to have confrontation with anyone in the entire world? Some of you are like that. <laughs> It'll lift you up and enable you to go do it, not worrying about your identity because your identity is secure in Christ. You know, it's interesting these last couple verses, we are to compare ourselves not with other people, but with ourselves. We are to test our own actions that God has given us. And to look back even like a year or six months ago and say, hey, here's how far I've come. I'm not taking pride in myself because I'm awesome. I'm taking pride in God because he's done this. Verse five is also a really interesting verse. Each one should carry their own load. Is that, is that a contradiction now with verse 2? Verse 2 said, we're to carry others' burdens. And then you get to verse 5, we're called to each carry our own load. Well, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think they're actually both different words in the original language. Burdens is a heavy, heavy burden you cannot carry alone, but a load is more like a backpack or a suitcase, something that you and I are called to carry ourselves. So if you think about this, this is really insightful because there's a couple ways this applies. Number one, whenever you get involved in people's lives, I said it's messy when you're carrying burdens. This reminds us that, yes, there's things we are called to help people care and bury, but there are certain things that people can only bear and carry themselves, and we shouldn't feel bad about that. In fact, there's an entire book that my pastoral staff reminded me of this. It's a book called Boundaries by Dr. Cloud and Townsend, this is getting at some of those. You can only carry burdens for so many people. You can't carry their load. They're responsible for that, but you can only carry so many burdens. But the other way this applies too is if you think about the word load, I was trying to get what does that word load really mean? And almost every biblical scholar worth reading said it's something like it's your opportunities in life. It's, it's your giftings in life. It's the circumstances that God has given you and gifts and talents and resources. It's almost like that parable of the talents. It's your talents that God has given you that that you are responsible for God to carry and live the life that he has called you to live. You and I cannot carry that for someone else. They are responsible for it. And we aren't to compare ourselves with others. If somebody has a different load than me, maybe they have more talent or gifting than me, I shouldn't be jealous of that. I have the gospel. I should be affirming of that. If we really understand both of those twin forces of the gospel, we will be content. We will bear each other's burdens. We'll know when to step back and say, hey, brother, I cannot carry that for you. This is your load that God has given you. And we will be content with the load God has given each and every one of us to carry. 
I want to look at this tub of bricks. You're welcome to come up afterwards and lift it to see how heavy it is, if you don't believe me. Um, you know, I was thinking about this image of bearing burdens. And I was thinking about Jesus. Because one of the ways we apply scripture is we always focus on Christ. Did Jesus ever carry a heavy burden? Oh, my goodness. In fact, we see that burden when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is sweating drops of blood. You ever been that stressed out that you are sweating what seemed like drops of blood? That's where he was. And then, on the, then when he's carrying his cross, do you remember what happens to him in the gospel accounts? He stumbles. He's so beaten down and broken down that he has to have help to carry that burden. And then on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a huge burden. When he carried the weight of sin in our place, when he experienced the wrath of God in our place, that was the biggest burden of all. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I think it's saying something like, when you do that, you are pointing to what Christ did for you. And if you really apply that, this will help you because, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I carry others' burdens, I think of all the reasons I shouldn't do it. You know, sometimes I can get a little judgmental and say, you know what? They got themselves into that mess. But you know, God could say the same thing to me. Well, Rick, congregation, you guys got yourself into this mess with sin. I'm not coming to earth to save you. Or sometimes I think, you know what, if I help them, they don't deserve it. Well, God could have said the same thing about me and you. If I help these people, they don't deserve my help on the cross. Or sometimes I think if I carry this burden, they're just going to abuse it. Well, God could have said the same thing about us. In fact, it's the truth. You and I abuse the sacrifice of God all the time. And yet, God is so gracious to us that he bore our ultimate burden. Amen? If we carry each other's burdens with the gospel in mind, it will enable us to supernaturally do so. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to spend a little time in prayer. Father, I pray right now, I pray that you would help us to have an accurate view of ourselves with the gospel like we talked about. Help us, Lord, to be a church and a congregation that is constantly bearing each other's burdens. Help us also personally to carry the load you've given us without comparing it to somebody else. And help us to only test our own actions by ourselves, by what you want, not by what somebody else is doing or failing to do. Father, give us an accurate view in our, of ourselves. Give us an accurate view of others. May we be quick to help, quick to carry the burden. Lord, may we be a congregation that delights in doing so out of joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.